Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to the AEW Dynamite Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dadly Boys of What Culture, Michael Hamlet and Michael Sidgwick, to review everything that happened on last week's episode of AEW Dynamite. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review AEW Dynamite, but also Raw, SmackDown, NXT pay-per-views. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on WrestleCulture. As I said, though, joined by Hamlet and Sidgwick to review last week's episode of AEW Dynamite. Apologies for the delay. This is the first day we've been able to, all three of us, get in and chat about this. A varied show, to say the least, Michael Sidgwick. What did you think of it? I didn't think it was good at all. There were like two segments of the show that I thought were AEW premium level. What I've come to expect from this company, essentially... There were things that were delivered and teased alike that I thought were actually wretched. And just to get this completely off the chest, to bat away, to deflect criticisms that I got on social media, Jesus Christ, like, I know, and I'm firmly aware of the fact that they are not going to give away their best stuff. At 11 p.m., particularly on Friday because the 10 tends to do well, the 10 to 11 slot, and then it just dies a death 11 till 12. I understand that they are not doing things in anticipation of them returning to the Wednesday slot where they get the most numbers and they are saving certain matches for the return of fans. I am firmly aware of this. However, them not doing their best stuff does not excuse really bad television. It just doesn't. I would much prefer some kind of, or preferred, thankfully we are getting away from these tape Fridays. I would have preferred extended dark elevation matches that aren't necessarily episodic, but build something in terms of a win-loss record and just have some nice wrestling for 15 minutes. I would accept functionally 
good pro wrestling rather than some of just the worst things I've seen on Dynamite. Maybe as I talk through this show, that might feel like an exaggeration, but I can't wait to tell you the real bad thing about Vicky Guerrero appearing as advertised in a match. Okay? Jesus Christ. Yeah, I thought it was a standard as well. Sorry. Like, it's okay. Hold them to a standard. The initials don't mean anything. There's faith in the process, yes, but the initials don't automatically mean things are good. Yeah, I just thought this was a rubbish broadcast, ultimately. Um, just not a good show. A bad dynamite, we said this before, um, a bad dynamite is better than a good raw, but those aren't the standards that we should hold it to, ever. You know, um, it, it's way better than that. I thought this was a, a rubbish episode. And I think it was... It, like in hindsight, it made me reflect on my opinions of Dynamite the week prior, which perhaps I was a little bit generous to because it was better than the one the week before. I'm a little bit, if the initials mean anything, they are a stamp of a certain quality that I really don't think has been met since, well, either side, let's be honest, the double or nothing because the Friday, the go home show to double or nothing wasn't that great either. Um, hasn't been met for a better part of a month, tactically, perhaps because of the this death slot on a Friday night. But what this slot is, is a bit of a teaser for like what your new audience are going to be looking out for, or an audience is going to be looking out for in Rampage. It's all representing the brand. It's all representing AEW. And if anything, I've just felt a little bit disillusioned at the, the quality slide because, yes, they might be tossing off a month, but I've been trained to expect better from even the stuff they toss off. You know, mm. I, don't, I don't want them to tolerate mediocrity in this way. And I think that reflects virtually everything we've seen of this this run of dynamites. I'd like it not to. I'd like the Friday placement not to be an, an excuse, but to be a pleasant surprise. My favourite moment in dynamite history happened on a Saturday when Brody Lee destroyed Cody. They weren't saving that for a Wednesday, you know, it, because the quality mattered and the standards mattered and the representation of the brand mattered. And I just think they've like almost willfully neglected that it's this none of this is spoken with any fear of the quality of the next wednesday dynamite or the next aw pay-per-view or whatever of the major storylines going forward it's just i don't know i'm not angry i'm a little bit disappointed i think mm. with, the, with the overarching quality of these dynamites and I, i'd like to i'd like to not see this kind of dip again for a very long time yeah i think that's a fair assessment from both of you in terms of the fact especially like that saturday dynamite that that moment with with Brody lee and cody arguably they could have tossed that show off as well. I know it's kind of different, but weren't they going head to head with a takeover or at the very the very least, the sort of lead in for a takeover? Yeah, that's right, yeah. But in theory, they didn't have to do that, and yet they did, and they they stole the weekend as a result of it. Not that I'm saying that you should book head to head or whatever, but yeah, it did it did feel uh, or has felt for the last few weeks, and it's, it's strange because they they do big things like this MMA fight, and then yet, like you say, on the other hand, there's just sort of like we'll just do enough. Well, let's dive into it. Let's, I'd love to know your thoughts, especially on this MMA cage fight that started the show. Jake Hager uh, versus Wardlow, this weird sort of hybrid between professional wrestling uh, and legitimate mixed martial arts cage fight, cage fighting as well. Um, intriguing dynamic here. Uh, Jake Hager utilizing his legit MMA background punches, kicks, etc., going for takedowns, and then Wardlow gut-wrenching him out of one. Not seen that in the UFC, I've got to be honest. Uh, takes Wardlow down, releases him, offers him to come back up just to establish some dominance. Uh, takes him down another time, ground and pound, but Wardlow rolls out of it. And then Wardlow catches a kick and nails Hager with a right hand, 
dumps him in the middle of the octagon. They, they stop banging back and forth. Uh, Wardlow hits a Superman punch off this cage. Now, I have seen Benson Henderson land a kick many, many moons ago uh, off the cage. Not Benson Henderson. What was it? It was landed on Benson Henderson. I do apologise. But it was it was surreal to see that then. It was even stranger uh, to see Wardlow doing something like that. And he was, well, trying to take him out of it as the uh, clock counted down to the end of the first round. They recover. They come out their second second round. Hager is still suffering the after effects. Uh, Wardlow fights out of a waist lock, gets a wrist lock, takes Hager down. Full mount, hammer fist, arm bar. Hager rolls through. He gets elbow strikes on Wardlow's midsection. He gets an arm bar of his own. And then Hager's uh, wrestling and his submission game really comes to the fore. Gets a triangle. Uh, Wardlow lifts him up out of it. Hager gets an ankle, a standing ankle lock. Uh, Wardlow goes for some up kicks, power bombs him into the cage. It's a running Hurricane Rana. Yeah, I've never seen that definitely in the UFC. Uh, and then Wardlow spears Hager, but Hager counters arm, uh, head, arm head and arm choke. Uh, Wardlow fights out of it. Hager fights out of Fireman's Carry and uh, takes him down, Uranagi, and then puts that head and arm choke in. Wardlow flips off Jericho as Hager chokes him out. Post-match, there's a really nice little moment where it looks like Wardlow and Hager are maybe going to give a little fist bump and a hug. But no, Sean Spears, who's been in Wardlow's corner, runs in, attacks Hager. Jericho gets involved. Big old brawl, of course. MJF runs out, targets Jericho, goes to that arm. Uh, salt of the Earth submission on there. AEW legend Dean Malenko gets involved. MJF calms himself down before decking Poor old Dean Malenko. Sammy Guevara runs out to make the save, chasing MJF off, but the damage has been done. Um, it was a, a surreal watch, this. It was kind of my two favourite worlds colliding. I'd love to know what both of you made of it, though. Uh, Sige, what what did you think of the MMA cage fight to start Dynamite? I don't watch UFC, right? I'll watch the absolute mega fights, but even then I don't really have the time anymore. Basically, I've watched the UFC where Brock Lesnar said he's going to shag Sable and drink a different brand of beer <laughs> and had a great old time. Every now and then, the algorithm will give to me some kind of knockout or something. I'll see them on social media because people go mad over UFC on my timeline anyway, and I'll enjoy the tiny little snippets. What I'm arriving at via the scenic route is that I don't know about the techniques. I don't know what makes for a good technical fight. I kind of have an idea of how well it's emulated but only through the lens of like the UWFI stuff that I've seen from the 90s I had a load of fun watching this, it was a total highlight of a show and I was genuinely quite bemused, baffled that people didn't get into this I said, because I'm so right about so much, not to be an arsehole, that they should steer away from the idea of a strict emulation, I think it would be alienating to the wrestling fans I didn't think Wardlow had it in him to do a perfect uwfi shoot style match i wanted them to do a unique dumb jock wrestling match that was really true to the dynamic of wardlow and jake hager's dumb jock wrestling and i got that i'm not an idiot i have a little bit of an idea of where the thrills of a blood sport come from that being when you see someone get charged down to the mat with a takedown and you think, oh my God, they might be seconds away from getting like a bloodied eyebrow or a concussive blow or something. 
I think the little sprinklings of those takedowns were measured perfectly. Like I just like the rhythm of this. It felt like, oh, someone's in trouble here. You kind of got a heart and mouth moment with those moments. And then at the same time, it was all sprinkled and decorated with fantastic dumb jock wrestling. The pops for me were not the, oh, he's really got a good ground and pound game there. Oh, God, he's done a hurricane runner. Like there was just a sort of an incredulous aspect to that particular move and the gut wrench. I don't just think the balance is perfectly is like a heightened, very unstrict emulation of MMA. I really enjoyed this. I can probably understand why guys who are more into UFC than I am did not like this at all. I legitimately thought this was loads and loads of fun. And more things I'd like to add. One, if you're going to have a guy who's long peaked and is never going to be a big time star and Jay Kager beat an up and coming genuinely potential superstar on Wardlow, do it in this context. Two, I like the idea, and it was articulated here again, I like the idea that all along Wardlow is going to be the Batista of Triple H's MJF. The little fist bump tease just was another reminder that he's the real baby face in all this. And this is just another idea to remind the fans that you're going to want to cheer this guy. He's not a complete dick. He's the one to shut MJF's mouth up in the future. Yeah. AEW aren't feeding Wardle's family. MJF is. That was a really important detail they put in yonks ago. And it's something they need to revisit every now and then. And I thought that was a really expert way to do that here. I love this. If the task was um, an emulation of MMA for wrestling fans, then I'm a wrestling fan and this worked perfect. I'm the type of wrestling fan that imposes wrestling moments on MMA and boxing when I do watch it. So I'm watching it, keep my fingers crossed for a rock and roll and it never comes. <laughs> so when I get it in the way it was deployed here, or when I'm watching a boxing fight and my mind wanders and I start to think, oh, it could be great if this is a triple threat. Like I had sort of like just the right amount of wrestling and MMA mixed together here. The I tell you what, right, honestly, because of the beatdown segment, which I thought was tremendous, like the aftermath, Wardlow lost here, and yet I feel that this was perhaps a bigger win for the Pinnacle than Blood and Guts. They've like landed some blows on the Jericho's fucking idiot mate, effing idiot mates. Gonna have to put the beep in there. <laughs> the anger of the Pinnacle coming out of the last few weeks. Like I felt like finally, like the Pinnacle are on top of the inner circle for a change, and Wardlow lost the fight, and it does show how you can sort of use these angles, these big angles that they've been doing that felt a bit around Chris Jericho's vanity more than they have the storyline for the good of the angle. So I thought that was tremendous as well. That first round where Wardlow was, he wasn't chasing Hager around, but the idea that Hager was suddenly on the back foot because Wardlow hits really hard was again, something that just made total sense to me because Wardlow's so young and so tough. And I just, I got so much out of that, of that replication of what you sometimes see in the minimal, I'm the same as Cedric, in the minimal like UFC fights that I get to see very occasionally it's like like the bloodthirsty side comes out and you think it, the referee's got to call this fight here because like this other guy hasn't got a chance for a split second I felt that about Hager and he was saved by the bell and he got himself together in the second round and he won by submission because he's got this skill set and all I'd add to all of that if we're not just talking about the fight this was the total opposite of these dynamites in the fact that Christ was effort made to the presentation here like I know it wasn't an octagon, it was a pentagon or a hexagon or whatever it was, but it looked enough like where you would have a UFC rules fight to me. Um, love the printing of AW on the canvas. Loved Aubrey. I missed that, I missed in, that in general. 
Yeah, Aubrey in a black shirt and gloves rather than the referee's gear. Like, nailed the presentation of it. And if this was one of the last things, put it like this, right? This weekend, AEW and WWE potentially said goodbye to the opportunity to do stupid stuff in this unique environment. AEW presented this. Uh, Alexa Bliss and Shayna Baszler almost went 50-50 in a straight wrestling match with hypnotism. You know, like, this was a great way to say goodbye to this odd era. I'll have a very fond memory of this compared to some of the other, like, cinematic or unique atmosphere failures that there's been along the way. I really like this, and I'm surprised there was any criticism towards it because I thought it was the standout moment from this entire episode. One more thing very quickly. AEW are incredible at this, and I like the idea that they're still incredible at something. Instant take reaction is what it is. You know this company isn't close to doing something as awful or as pivotal as jumping the shark but you get enough generic slash curious stuff when you think they lost the plot a little bit have they lost the plot a little bit fundamentally they remain a very clever pro wrestling company that can tell long-term stories and work you work you with them being cleverer than you the idea on the dynamite go home show was Dimalenko was framed in such a way because Jesus Christ, the guy's got Parkinson's, like you can't take a bump. So they strategically positioned him as having been blue petered. Oh, here's what we did to um, Dimalenko earlier. We beat him up. It's like, right, okay, that works because you've got this anxiety about his condition and his age, but you know you haven't seen it. Like, you took a flat back <laughs> after this. So that was like, it was allowed something shocking to register as yet more shocking. And the fact that they've already targeted him meant it didn't come out with the blue. Really expert work and book and stuff there. And as the resident UFC fan on this podcast, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Like it told a story I've seen in legitimate MMA fights as well. Like I said, it borrowed from Anthony Pettis's uh, playbook. He's the one, if you want to go and check it out, Google Anthony Pettis Showtime kick. He jumps off the cage and kicks a man in the head. And he's also used the Superman punch off the uh, off the cage as well uh, against Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. I distinctly remember watching that fight too. But also, in terms of the fight itself, you know, yeah, you've got the ground and pound and you've seen people who go, I can take you down, but uh, it's more fun on the feet, so let's just get you back up. Or I'm just showcasing what I can do here. Uh, or the fact that Wardlow... Yeah, he clipped him with a great shot, but he emptied the gas tank in trying to finish him off in that first round. And the moment that round was over, you're like, right, well, he's buggered now because he's got to go another two rounds with someone who's far more experienced. And that played out. He gets a sort of submission. Wardlow fights out of that, but he's used all of his, his energy to get out of that. And so when they're back there 30 seconds later or whatever, that head and arm triangle. And I've also seen people not tap. People go, no. I'm not going to tap. I've watched a man get his arm broken the other week in the UFC. Did not tap, even after he got broken. I thought it was a wonderful merging of the two styles, like we said, and, and a really, really entertaining start to this show. And because I was watching it today and I'd heard all these murmurs about it, I was like, what are people on about? This is a great show. But we'll get into it. Uh, we then got, then got a promo from Penta and Eddie Kingston and Frankie Casarium talking about vengeance. Uh, thirsty for retribution they said and uh kingston talked about praying to their gods because your ass belongs to us zero miedo all that sort of thing and um, we got another promo from team taz without brian cage uh talked about ricky starks's disagreement with uh, brian cage it needs to stop uh hobbs obviously powerhouse hobbs upset about what happened last week and so 
Taz challenges Hangman Page to take on Powerhouse Hobbs one-on-one on next week's Saturday edition of Dynamite. Very intriguing, the response we got to that uh, a little bit later on. And then it was the handicap match, the men of the year, Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky, who are growing on me uh, in terms of just when they come out and they're, I've really got to appreciate their entrance of actually being awake today and seeing what they, how they interact with each other and just how, well, legitimately punchable uh, Ethan Page is in the face. Uh, and it was, a, as I said, a handicap match and... It kind of went the way we expected. Darby Allen tried his damnedest, uh, fighting off both opponents. They're quick tagging in. They're, they're trying to, you know, isolate him and, and, and make the most of every corner they can cut. Um, Page eventually catches a coffin drop from Darby Allen. Sky nails him with a forearm. Looks like Page at one point is going to repeat what he did at Double or Nothing and throw him into the front row. But Darby Allen puts a sleeper on him. Uh, they, once they come back from the break, uh, repeated backbreakers on Darby Allen. Suddenly, Darby Allen gets a small package uh, on Ethan Page for a two count. And he counted a backbreaker in amongst all this with the Scorpion death drop before tagging himself in as Page tags Guy in. Uh, Darby Allen running wild, code red. Uh, Page breaking up the pin, though. And uh, in the midst of all this, Darby Allen zip tied his feet together. And sent him out to the floor to effectively make it a one-on-one match with Scorpio Sky. Near falls over the top stunner. Uh, coffin drop, but uh, Page has recovered. Pulls Allen out of the ring. Murders him after cutting the zip tie from around his legs. Posts him. The horrible noise in amongst all this. Tags him. Uh, tags back in. Props Allen up. Superplex. Darby Allen's fighting out of it. Well, biting his way out of it. But Page, uh, whilst he's recovering on the mat, uh, Scorpio Sky distracts Allen. Uh, crotches him on the top rope, and that allows Page to hit the ego's edge for the victory. Hampler, what did you make of the uh, the handicap match here? Uh, I thought it was decent. Um, really well booked, like well constructed, right result. Um, the zip tie element was was cute, and I think didn't in any way sort of betray the type of character Darby Allen is and why he's taking on a two one one handicap match in the first place. Um, just shows that he's got smarts as a baby face and he like tries to keep little things in his back pocket. I don't have any problem with that. It, there was a, a, a lower energy to all of this than I expected. I, I don't know if this falls at the feet of the workers or the environment or the fact that a lot of it is, you know, you are watching a, a dressed up rematch of a pay-per-view and it's a, a continuation of a story that felt finished at the, at the pay-per-view itself. I don't know. Um, on the preview, I remember us talking about when I, I didn't think the expectations were that wild that they were going to do something pretty horrific to Darby Allen, or at least attempt it and give you the, the sense of drama and it, like emotional response to something horrific because of the beatdown and what we saw at the pay-per-view itself. Uh, it never really got there. And I'm not saying that in a ghoulish way. I just thought, well, at least tease that out. That's kind of what this rivalry between Page and Allen is predicated on. And indeed this handicap rivalry too. Um, you know, it's, it's an okay story. Um, it just, it was a little bit more formulate than I would have expected from these performers telling this story. But fine, not a lot to criticise. Just I wasn't like I wasn't as high on it as I expected to be. It didn't really pull me in. Yeah, I'm, I can't do anything except echo that take. I was not at any point genuinely frightened for Darby Allen, and you know, because of the way these things work and just the critique and content, you're going to get some dissenting voice listening to this podcast going, "Oh, dickhead, do you want him to die? Do you want him to break his back?" It's like, well, no, but I would like the illusion. I would like the threat. I would like to have my heart in my mouth. I would like to shake. 
thinking, oh my God, something bad is going to happen to him. And then he can do some absolutely incredible escape using that incredibly athletic body of his and his resolve, et cetera, et cetera. I thought this is a well-constructed version of a what was a necessary story beat to heat up Paige ahead of this presumed singles match, which I would like a bit more exposition, if I'm being honest. And that's a very rare thing that I ask. Um, look, once was enough in terms of the danger of that sort of harrowing, scary angle atop Daly's place. But I would like a little bit more meat on the bone of why does Ethan Page hate Darby Allen this much? Why has he not even remotely gone for a championship? And I mean, I know he did and he lost and that ties into it, but it's all a little bit thin for me. Um, I would like a few more promos from Ethan Page. Not this match, but I understand it was a functional beat in making Ethan Page not just look like a guy who is there for Allen to beat in between title pictures, because that's obviously his future. A little note. In fact, I'm going to atone, right? Back in late 2019, I was probably a bit too generous to certain AEW things. I think the reports of the demise were totally over-exaggerated, but, you know, there were problems. There were problems with just a lack of discipline that caused through the company in terms of doing the Nightmare Collective and the Dark Order at the same time. And, yeah, I probably thought, you know what? Some things are going to hit, some things aren't. This is creative expression company, et cetera, et cetera. That was far too generous to take in retrospect. And I'm going to um, atone for it by saying they should not be doing Men of the Year and the Wingmen at the same time. Hmm. This GQ font, I love. I love Ethan Page's Yacht Rock aesthetic because it hmm. speaks to me personally. I like the idea that these two men are a class above. They dress well. They fight fairly. It's heel stuff. They don't. They are more dicks than Darby Allen. Darby Allen just happens to have more of an alternative, alternative grubby aesthetic. But I really like this as a driver. It's on the font of the Tron and the, their aesthetic. It's very much an old, hoary pro wrestling trope, but it does feel, and this is a good thing, like modernized and fashionable. Mm. They shouldn't be doing this at the same time as the wingmen who are like waxed, waxed and ready for hot boy summer. Like, I get that. It's quite funny. And um, I get that it's probably a vehicle for JD Drake to rip off that horrific vest top he's got on and be a big bruiser and he can have a fight with Avalon and whatever. I don't think both things should be happening on the same show, especially when the wingmen, people hate this. People hate that I hate it. And I've got a lot of latitude for fun, but I think the wingmen suck and I'm going to tell you why soon. <laughs> Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Before we go any further, though, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, we all carry around different stresses. They can be big life worries or just, you know, little things like your favorite wrestler not being used properly. The thing is, when we keep them bottled up, it really can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. It is really helpful, too, for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. Therapy basically empowers you to be the best version of yourself. So why not give better help a try? It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and best of all, suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash whatculture today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash whatculture. Well, you mentioned the uh, the wingman there. Let's dive straight into it because they came immediately after that. Uh, it was uh, Cesar Bononi. Uh, of the wingmen versus Orange Cassidy and the best friends uh, in his corner, I mean. And, uh, well, <laughs> they really had a plan for what they were going to do to Orange Cassidy in this. Um, attacking Benoni, uh, sorry, Benoni attacking Cassidy before the bell, hoying him outside and he gets spray tanned, fights back, music gets thrown outside again and they do his hair and put a jacket on, <laughs> on him. <laughs> Eventually, Orange Cassidy fights back, trips Benoni, sends him to the outside. Uh, and uh, as he goes to do a dive, um, the wingmen catch it. So Statlander distracts the referee. Uh, so they assist the best friends, that is, Orange Cassidy, on a huge dive to take them all out. Uh, Orange Cassidy gives everyone an orange punch, basically. Nemeth, Drake, and then Benoni for the victory. But I uh, I sort of knew you were going to say this because I saw a tweet of yours, Sid, and didn't know what it was about and had it explained to me when we were doing the stream on Sunday night. It related to this. Uh, what's your issue with the wingmen giving Orange Cassidy effectively a makeover? I felt like sharing some uh, ribs with Jim Ross. And what's the referee doing? <laughs> That's what I felt like asking. Uh, <laughs> you, you don't want any moment on All Elite Wrestling Dynamite to actually justify bad faith criticisms. And that's exactly what this did for me. I don't think fundamentally I've got a problem with the wingmen as a undercard act, second match comedy. For me, it actually has to be funny. I just think this is a little bit charmless. I think that something like this has to take root organically. It feels like they are actively and desperately chasing memes and trying to chase a certain reaction that ordinarily just is, again, like the grassroots organic charm, charming thing. This has felt so imposed and rushed and fake. And I kind of got a little bit insulted by it as a result, not just in terms of the flagrant abuse of the referee here, just flagrant. I, again, I've usually got latitude for meme friendly stuff i've got latitude like being a fan of an enormous fan of the peak of new japan pro wrestling look if 
if the referee shows latitude, you get cooler stuff. It's as simple as that. And if you can bake in a reason for that to be and have Excalibur say, look, we'd rather you have, above anything else, the fans should get a finish. And they've said this in the past, and realistically, they should nail that point a little bit more. Mm. Yes, they are flagrantly breaking the rules here, and they're not adhering to a count out, but it's a championship match, you deserve a finish. Or there's a lot riding on this one, you deserve a finish. Do a little bit, like have a little bit more care. It feels like there's just loads of indiscipline spooling out into the into all of dynamite at the moment. They were doing this flagrant cheating. Now they weren't beating him up, but there was still like preventing him from getting an advantage in a pro wrestling match by just focus group testing literally every bit they have with the fake tan and the jacket and all the rest of it. You're treating the referee like an idiot. You're treating the viewer like an idiot. Desperately trying to get this act over again when if you sprinkle this bit in, me, you, and you, pronouns, pal, Willborn and Hamlet, I'm pointing at you. <laughs> if they just do the spray tan bit when the referee is distracted and you get this ridiculous image of Orange Cassidy in a spray tan, maybe we are allowed to cultivate the idea that we like this. So, oh, what could they do to him next? Oh, they could put some gel in his hair and make him look like he's Ross Geller in the mid-90s or we could fantasy book that. And they just did bam, 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 all of it. Just forced fun, forced fun, forced fun. And at the end... Peter Avalon, who genuinely has potential as an undercard second comedy guy. He did the Jack Swagger, Chris Jericho, Mendoza thing. It's like it's already been done on this program. You're desperately trying to create a meme here. And the, I found the desperation off-putting. Um, it's not what I want to see a valiant loser, a cheated loser in a world title match doing next. Hated this. And I've got a lot of latitude for fun. And I know I'm a miserable prick. I am a miserable prick. But the duality of man means I do like having fun sometimes. I don't like to have fun. And I didn't get any of it here because it felt like it was getting like just screened into my eyeballs, clockwork orange style. I th- yeah, I thought this was so boring. And worse, because it's the best friends we're going to see for six months and then the payoff's going to be awesome. And we're going to think, oh, well, it worked out in the end because that's what happens in a best friends for you. Makeover mayhem. Yeah, <laughs> it'll just be like the summer spray tan smash. And it'll be like, oh, they got that bit right. So we'll forgive six months of really boring dynamite matches. Inessential filler content um, that should have gone to the women as that division continues to take steps backwards or a tag team division loaded with tag teams that you want to see wrestle more than these guys. Um, didn't help Orange Cassidy if this is supposed to be reheating him as wanting more of Kenny Omega. Quite the opposite, actually. Like, fluffy mid-card stuff that reduced him and made him unpack for, like, guys that, yeah, that was just because they had nothing for Kenny at the pay-per-view. Like, I, I just... I I don't, I don't want to watch any more of this, and my prevailing sense is that I'm going to see plenty more whether I want it or not, because they seem to like the gags. They seem to like the... I agree, particularly about the Avalon bit. That felt like the most grabby attempt of them to try and create something that everybody would share with the cry laughing emoji. But when people share things with a cry laughing emoji, they're not crying and laughing. They think they're supposed to be crying and laughing. That's the difference. And I just, I don't know. I don't want to see any more of this. And I, my, I got a stinking feeling we're going to get plenty of it. Uh, you mentioned Omega there. He was uh, rolling up to an interview, interrupting Jungle Boy's chat with Alex Marvez next. He was in a golf cart with uh, Nakazawa and Callis. 
And he said he wasn't wearing his expensive uh, clothes or his jewellery or his belt because the Jungle Boy had embarrassed him last week. And he said he was going to give him a chance to, to make up for it. He packed a picnic with two knuckle sandwiches, both for uh, both for Jungle Boy, trying to goad him into a fight, basically. And Jungle Boy says, no, I'm all right. I'll wait till next week. And Omega says, you know what? You get the first shot for free. Go on. And uh, yeah, Jungle Boy takes off his jacket. He's getting ready to do it. And of course, gets jumped from behind by one Michael Nakazawa who twats him with his laptop. Omega beats him up. But then Jungle Boy fights back. Omega bails back to the golf cart, leaves Nakazawa high and dry, gets taken out by Jungle Boy. A build towards their huge title match next week, Hamlet. Yeah, like this is funnier than Peter Avalon's crying, but still more in that like, huh, where than like, He'd pop piss myself laughing. I, just, I don't know. I, like, I've been trying to shake off the feeling that these Kenny Omega segments, because like I've really enjoyed the Callous ones as well. The conspiracy theory stuff is is all right. He's feeling a little bit inessential, and he's got like fifty eight title belts. <laughs> like this build has been way fluffier than I wanted it to be. It's, Kenny Omega and Jungle Boy, the match is going to be awesome. Like the match is going to absolutely bang. It's going to be yet another night where you're just going to be so full of effusive praise and faith in AW's process because Jungle Boy is going to be yet one step closer to superstardom, mega stardom. You know, the day is going to come where he's going to beat Kenny Omega or beat whoever's got the title. You're going to have that feeling that you have when Cody would beat Derby. You know, like they're so good at this and you're going to feel it. Like I just want a slightly more enjoyable journey. I'm just like Kenny Omega is feeling to me at this, like a bit of a passenger, like these comedy segments are great. He's performing them so well. Like his cadence and his delivery is excellent, but the actual nature of the segments feels closer to the mid card than the main event. And like, I felt that before double or nothing and the match itself felt closer to the mid card than the main event. And it's, you know, one of the reasons why it went where it went on that card. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. The matches are so great. And I desperately want people to chin Kenny when, the, when they're happening. Like he's an awesome in-ring heel, and maybe that's where the work's done in the background. That like, oh, there has been weeks of him irritating the piss out of me, and I want to see somebody batter him. But it's just a lot of this out of Omega on Dynamite. I'm not really feeling it. Told you, I'm capable of fun. I love this. I absolutely <laughs> love this. I think this is really astute, very astute, understated storytelling masquerading as silly bollocks. Here's the temptation for Jungle Boy. Still like 23. Beat him and beat him and beat him. Isn't he plucky? Isn't he great? Isn't he popular? Doesn't he just have this wonderful quality to him that just everyone likes to root for? The more you do that, the more trite and cliched it comes. What I like about this particular story, and the story is senior jock from the 50s, apparently, or the 80s, or both, is being a complete bully dickhead to the younger freshman. It's a little bit silly, but at the same time, what they're doing here is they are telling stories centered around how youthful Jungle Boy is and how much of an appeal that is as a character on wrestling mainstream TV because we've not had young people in it for so long. But without going the inspirational, so close route, like what they're doing with this is they're stepping away from the Chris Jericho story they told. They are preserving the take him seriously, he's a man now. And for a three-week TV program that you never want to conflate too much with pay-per-views because it feels a little bit patronizing after a while, I think they are getting the measure of how to do the second season of Jungle Boy like quite perfectly. And beyond all of that, it's just piss funny. 
Knuckle sandwiches. Numb nuts. Like numb nuts is such a good word. Very few people can get away with saying it. Very few people, because if you aren't cool enough or trying to be cool enough to say it, and you say it, you just think, you call us out for you complete dick. It's not like the right tit. Kenny Omega's certain irreverent brand of comedy can get away with it. The knuckle sandwich stuff was absolutely great. And the physical payoff of Michael Nakazawa, fall guy, goon, like he was nowhere near him. Like Nakazawa could have got away with that. Mm. He could have hopped on that golf cart and could have driven he away. Kicked off. It was yeah, really- Kenny Omega kicked him off. Yeah, I thought and so. really, that, and that's the layer of it. It was just piss funny to me. Um, I wouldn't necessarily want to see this tone building a pay-per-view match, but for a three-week build for a what should be an outstanding TV match with a character who you are nowhere near close to getting to that pinnacle yet. This is perfect for me. Did you like what came next, Michael Sidgwick? And that was Christine Cage getting locked in a, well, storage cage, basically. Uh, it was a promo being cut by Matt Hardy in the uh, HFO about Christine Cage. He's a violation of contract. That's why they keep attacking him. Cage shows up, numbers game. They shove him into a storage area and Hardy basically posts a check through this, the cage and tells him to retire. And if he keeps coming after him, he's going to end his career. No. Oh. Far too cute. And the thing about Christian Cage versus Matt Hardy, and again, I always go back to February 2020. Would this happen in February 2020? No, the show was too 10 out of 10, seven stars, seven star episodic TV in February 2020. Would this match anything on there? No, right. Not everything can be that good, granted. Is this good enough for the month or two before that? No. Is this a match I want to see in virtually any circumstances? No, it isn't. They could do the best blood angle I've ever seen for this match. And I'd still be thinking, I don't care about the match. Get it over with. Cage stuff. (laughs) Where was was Robocop? You know, could have solved all of this, couldn't he? Could have got Christian out of the no harm. Yeah, I, I, if this thing is, there's no, um, there's no parity here. Like, if Matt Hardy and Christian weren't Matt Hardy and Christian, this would be cute, dark or dark elevation stuff that might make those Twitter accounts that retweet the best bits of dark and elevation if you're not watching every week. Like this, ah, oh, like, look at those two guys doing a funny cage bit that's going to build to their match on dark because they're both 4-0 or something like that. But they're Christian Cage and Matt Hardy. So they're getting all this time because theoretically they draw or they're recognisable or, you know, People might talk about it. The end product just—it's not going to be—it's not going to be that good. Like the whole compromise with Christian Cage was that uh, his match style is different, but what value he's going to provide to a lot of these young guys that have never worked with a Christian Cage before, especially in the time when they're not getting the reps in. Like, what's Matt Hardy got to learn from a Christian Cage? Like, what's Matt Hardy going to get? Right, so I learn something from you every time we go 15 minutes on television. It's like, oh, great. That's going to be perfect for your next program that's going to gobble up somebody else's time. Like, I just, it, again, it felt really inessential, and I'll be glad when it's finished. Uh, it was the debut or the, uh, yeah, the debut of Brock Anderson in action, a, a team with Cody Rhodes against the Factory next. Uh, Brock Getting early advice from Cody after backing himself into the wrong corner. Uh, Cutie Marshall. I don't know why. It's so simple. Tags in. Cody comes in. He goes, oh, no, I don't want to. 
I'll stay there, actually. Simple stuff like that. Um, Cody takes him out with a suicide dive, but Aaron Solo is the legal man, so he takes control uh, after that. Brock comes in. Brock comes in and hits repeated shoulder strikes, gut wrench, and then I love him. I really love him. QT Marshall hits a bloody spine buster and looks directly at Arn Anderson. On his in son? Yes! Uh, Brock eventually gets to the corner. Really like this touch. Brock gets to the corner after scratching and clawing. Gets there, but as he tags Cody in, Solo distracts the referee and the referee stops. He hasn't seen the tag. That allows the factory hit a double-team neckbreaker. QT uh, Marshall goes for a crossroads on Brock, who counters into a DDT, gets Cody in, hot tag. He runs wild. Oklahoma stampede, flying head scissors. Uh, it's locked Solo in the figure four, but he's in the ropes. Marshall gets involved. Cody hits him with a destroyer. Solo hits Cody with a cyclone kick, but Brock breaks it up. Brock tags in. Help Cody hit a step-up forearm. Jackknife solo. One, two, three. Just a lovely moment as well with Brock Anderson celebrating with his dad afterwards. What do you think of uh, Brock Anderson's AEW debut, Michael Sidgwick? I love their Cody's head scissors. <laughs> I love that. More of that, please. He's mm. energy and grace on that. I wasn't meant to be popping about that. I was meant to be popping about Brock Anderson. I think he looked very good for his level of experience mechanically. And there was a, the DDT was like eerily similar, awesomely similar to Ons. I thought they constructed this match very well. I think the match benefited enormously from there being no post-match chicanery. It was a clean, well-worked match that made it very clear who was the dickhead heel, who was the superstar babyface, who was the valiant emerging babyface. All of this was arranged really quite nicely and arrived at a earned feel-good moment that was allowed to register, which is a huge complaint I've had over AEW on a macro level throughout much of 2021. Thank you for listening to me directly, which is, of course, what happened. <laughs> I didn't feel like Brock had this, any kind of charisma or an animated, mm -hmm. like sense about him that really jumped off the screen so I do worry about how he's going to get over and again you don't always have to compare two things see I don't know if it's a uniquely wrestling thing or it's just such an easy thing for human beings in general to do but there's a reason why Hook's to meme and Brock isn't and I think Hook's got way more of a presence at this stage and he can't really he can't teach that so I don't know what it means for Brock's long-term prospects but at the end of the day, he is playing endearing, earnest, upstart babyface. And I feel like it would be very premature to measure anything. What you can do as a TV character beyond that. It was a very, very encouraging start that didn't have me doing backflips. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, this was a modest like triumph of a presentation of Brock and of a match and of this angle as it stands currently. Um, I don't know if I was supposed to think much more of this than just what we got. I don't know if I was supposed to think of what might happen next in the story because AEW, and especially when they're kind of like tied to Cody, just like disappear people a little bit. Like Lee Johnson's signing and entry into the um, Nightmare family was huge and then it was kind of nothing. Anthony Agogo's had his turn and now he's just been like phased back dramatically over like a three-week period. Um, 
sometimes it feels just because like Cody's excited to do a thing that week and then like gets bored and moves on to the next one. Uh, like will Brock feature next week? I, like I genuinely don't know. This was absolutely fine for what it was, but it's probably at this point for the best that it didn't leave me like speculating about what happens next because that the answer to that might be nothing. Yeah, you know, it might be more nightmare factory slash family, you know, to and froing. But I could well imagine us not seeing Brock Anderson now for like six weeks or something. So in that regard, probably best that I wasn't like like Hook. Is as Sidgwick points out, he's got that meme quality that you can't wait to see him again the next week. Perhaps it's a good thing that Brock didn't have that because they may not have plans to use him again. Mm. May have been informed to get into him for this week and then forget about him. He's off back to the training rings for a little while. Well, halfway through you saying that, I was reminded of the fact that Arn Anderson gave an interview to some outlet or other, apologies, I can't remember, where he was talking about what was next um, for him, for Cody, whatever. And he said there's a big time tag team opportunity that's in the wings and you'll hear about that. Um, there's a month ago as well, well before Double or Nothing. So maybe there is something in this. Yeah. Um, but again, I'm with Hamlet. Had I not read that interview or just recalled it in the last minute, I wouldn't know what to expect because this has been a little bit... If it isn't unfocused and there is a clear direction, nowhere near enough of it has been teased or not enough of what's already happened is registered to the point where you're desperate to see some of the players return like a Johnson or an Agogo. Uh, we had a Lance Archer, well, I didn't have a Lance Archer promo. We had a Jake Roberts promo with uh, Lance Archer marching about in the background, uh, talking about waiting and pouncing like a tiger. And he can't, he can't, he's too impatient, basically. Uh, I want to talk to you, though, instead, Sige, about this sit-down interview with Andrade El Idolo and Jim Ross. Uh, he said he chose AEW because there are many stars, but he is a superstar. Uh, talked about you know, the TNT Championship, the AEW World Championship, that there is next step. And he talks about why he picked Vicky Guerrero. She's experienced and she's a Guerrero. She's got that history with, with Eddie and the, the Guerrero family. They have a great connection. And Michael Sidgwick, we've got a surprise. Right. Right. In terms of the actual sit-down, I thought it was okay. He has a presence and an aesthetic that screams superstar. The material was way too generic to get any kind of read on. Um, I didn't really come out of this feeling any more hyped about what he's going to do. The word surprise did linger in the air at the end of the promo on purpose. Can we jump ahead here? Do you want to talk about the Brett Baker thing? Because there's a, there's a theory doing the rounds that these two things are related. Okay, yeah. So uh, there was a, later on, there was an interview with uh, Britt Baker and Rebel, uh, with Tony Schiavone, Vicky Guerrero interrupted and said she smelled like onions and burger sauce and what have you because of what happened with me. Oh, that's repulsive. Hmm. All the Nyla Rose stuff. She might... The same sentence. It seems like Vince McMahon would laugh at something like that. I wonder that on an AEW show. Uh, anyway, she's not happy, basically. Oh. She wants the championship around Nyla Rose's waist. Uh, and they said, uh, piss off, basically. And she said, well... Uh, because of bringing in Andrade El Idolo, um, Tony Khan owes me one. And uh, next week it is going to be Reba Rebel and uh, Britt Baker versus Nyla Rose and Vicky Guerrero. Right, here's the thing. Instantly people were like, well, there's no way they're putting Vicky Guerrero on the ring. Why would they embarrass the brand? Why would they invite ridicule by doing a comedy match, which is going to further 
compound this genuinely awful idea that Britt Baker's title reign sucks. Jeez, how has that happened? <laughs> We're desperate for it. We've been desperate for it since probably April 2020. It's here and it sucks. That's bad. Now, I've asked to jump ahead because people think the things are linked. Andrade's surprise is going to reveal itself to be Tia Trinidad, the former Zelina Vega, who is going to take the place of Vicky Guerrero in this match. And there's going to be some kind of two valet manager scenario. Don't know how that works, but this is a theory. I think this theory has come about not only because Vicky Guerrero is involved in two things, and the surprise is the potential link between the two. I've got two thoughts on this. One is that the idea of Vicky Guerrero being in a match and even being bait and switched out of it is still bad. It's a means to an end, and the means is like, well, why would comedy character and non-wrestler Vicky Guerrero, who's one of those people in AEW that you just forgot she existed and was in this company because she made such a nothing impression, what, the fact that she could be booked on a show that ranks its competitors and those competitors use that ranking to earn titles, what the hell is she doing on it? I understand you've given me a storyline reason for it. Don't do the storyline, right? I, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad. I hate the idea that she could be in a match even if she isn't. Who says she's not going to be in it? They've been doing rubbish comedy matches with Reba Not Rebel, Rebel Not Reba, all too often, why wouldn't they do this? It feels more like denial than anything else. Um, I just hate all of it. I hate the threat. I hate the idea that's going to happen. It just makes no sense from a narrative perspective why they would do this. If it does, in fact, happen, it's going to be terrible. Any of this conversation surrounding Andrade is bad. I just want to think of him as a potential world title caliber superstar. And I'm instead talking about Vicky Guerrero and onions and burgers. And I feel bad breath all around me. It stinks. If, if they are bringing in Zelina Vega as Andrade's surprise, and it's this bait and switch for a tag match. Why? They've, they're admitting that they've botched his introduction. They should have saved them and brought them in as a package when crowds come back. Like, oh, we've got Andrade, we've got Zelina Vega, great. We'll sit on it for a month and debut them together. And the crowd will go absolutely bananas for it because they were a beloved act. And it was criminal that WWE didn't make millions with them. Like, if this is their attempt, as we've seen, you know, Dark Order, Butcher and Blade and so on. Um, if this is their attempt to, like, fix what they are aware they've already accidentally broken yet again, then all it is is an acknowledgement that they got it wrong in the first place. It's not particularly made good for this particular match but we'll get what we need. And again, is that particular, you know, he said there's a surprise to something, but is that particular strand of like assumption that it's the Trinidad, is that not a little bit of bargaining because this match is so bad? You know, if there, if there was no problem with this character, maybe the speculation of the surprise might be that the forbidden doors open again and there's going to be some LIJ link up or something. For, just for example, first thing off the top of my head, but like you can speculate on whatever you want with the surprise, can't you? But people have obviously raced to that because they're concerned that they're, shabby standard of what's already been announced and that's a less than an ideal situation that AW shouldn't be finding themselves in. Um, 
uh, we got a promo or we got an, a brief uh, interview with Hangman Page. He was hanging out with the Dark Order. He accepted Powerhouse's Hobbs' challenge for a match next week. He was actually about the world title match and, uh, yeah, seemed suspiciously uh, uneasy around all this. Didn't want to talk about it. Instead, just talked about the Dark Order members. So John Silver's going to be back soon and toasted evil Uno. Sid, I know you've got something you want to say about this. I adore this thread. I absolutely adore it. Hangman Page is the most relatable baby face and he's relatable in a way that is uniquely belonging to the 21st century and to many people's lived-in experience of a terrifying world that's unrecognisable and how awful and just to just to quote a Radiohead lyric, it just feels like there's a low-flying panic attack that just pervades everything. And Hangman Page is brave enough as a storyteller and as a man to encapsulate that and to try and tell a story around it. I think it's wonderful. Hangman Page looks at Kenny Omega as the unread email that you're too scared to look at. Hmm. It's the unread email that makes you feel like you're not very good at your job because you've up and you've made a mistake and it's lurking there and you can do all these things, you can beat these big people up you can do your easy hitters there's an unread email that you're too scared to look at you're too scared to open and for hangman page that is kenny omega it is such a wonderful beat this is twice they've gone to it and i hope people are paying attention because you'll be rewarded so much when he opens it and responds to that query <laughs> it's i just honestly like small um Last season, last series, uh, season of The Office, if you've not seen it all the way through, spoiler incoming, but it's been on for like 10 years and it's all on Netflix, so get caught up. And it's rubbish after season four anyway, so. <laughs> when they ask Hangman Page about Kenny Omega, or about the world title, I guess, you know, I, like have a little gasp in the same way I do the first time Pam looks down the lens at the sound guy asking what she's doing wrong after a fight with Jim. It's that little gasp of like, ah, there it is. That's the thing that nobody wants to talk about that we're finally going to talk about. And then hang on page again, like skews the conversation off in a different direction. And you have that little moment, that little jolt, and then it's gone again. Couldn't love this more. And particularly on an episode, uh, like I wish this had gone back to back because AEW used to do this back to back trick quite a lot. And it was always awesome when they did. Um, I wish this had gone back to back with the Kenny segment because following a segment where Kenny Omega has for no reason pushed his friend off a cart, it's like discarded a comrade. I thought like that would have been a really neat reminder of who Kenny is versus who Hangman has become in the last year. Loved it. The of, of all the, the faults that we picked in this episode, and maybe the faults we picked over the last month, their near two-year-long money world title program is completely on track. And you like you can't worry too much when that's yeah, like when that's absolutely fine. And it is. Uh, Julie Hart versus Penelope Ford followed that. Uh, there was uh, some incredible acrobatics early on from, from both women here. Um, eventually, uh, Penelope Ford escapes her head scissors, nails her with a, a shoulder tackle. Hart fights back, drop kick, running crossbody. Um, but Ford trips her up, hits a springboard knee drop as we go to the break. Eventually, later on, Ford catches a kick, slaps Hart, Fireman's carry gutbuster rolls out of the way of a moonsault, Julia Hart, but uh, Ford then dodges 
uh, Hearts split leg drop, locks on the Indian deathlock and gets the submission. And post-match, out comes Miro asking where Kip Sabian is and saying it's not really fair, three on one. So he decides to come down and murder the varsity blondes. He attacks them. Him and uh, Brian Pillman Jr. get into a real brawl, have to be separated by the officials on numerous occasions. And yeah, that's a match I'd be happy to watch. What do you think of Penelope Ford versus Julia Hart, uh, Hamlet? I thought this was um, more of a nice match than a good one, but I, I did I did enjoy it. I continue to really like Penelope Ford, and you know, just to go back to that like prime match, it's it's not wasting five minutes on that daft wingman stuff where like more of these women get reps and they get better quicker. And Penelope Ford, who looked like decent here, would look even better based on evidence that we've had like previously. She's somebody that will very quickly like find herself again, and she'll be excellent. So like. There was nothing overly wrong with the match, but I really enjoyed the angle. Like, really liked the angle. They've left me genuinely intrigued. Like, I love the idea that Miro's just walking around all day at work, spoiling for a fight. So he's using the excuse of helping his old pal Penelope Ford to get one uh, with the blondes. But, like, there's a shred of intrigue there too. I don't mind that Kip Sabian might want to stand up for his wife and, like, try and fight. He's going to get bent in half. He's going to get, like beat him within an inch of his life for choosing to do it. But I like the idea that while well, like, Kip Sabian's away, Miro is the arsehole that is going to fake defend his wife just as an excuse to beat somebody else up. And then when Kip Sabian comes back and says, I know what you're doing, and I'm going to take your title, he's going to beat Kip Sabian up as well. Like, it's, it's good character work. I quite liked it. The match, it's about time they did something with Penelope Ford. And this is quite a reassuring sort of gauge of where she's at as a performer because she was in there with someone who's green and it's not really it's the opposite of iron sharp it's iron usually when this happens on dynamite and this did not happen in fact i thought penelope ford looked like a solid not that I'm, i've got i've got a feud with words solid at the minute <laughs> yeah it's a solid performance that finish it looks incredible like it looks great mm. that's why in about 50 years' time, women's wrestling is probably going to overtake men's wrestling. We've seen what flexible, incredibly athletic women can do in all Japan pro wrestling when the rest of the world catches up with that. Stardom's amazing right now, from all accounts. I've only had a brief taste of it. Meandering, because there's very little to talk about here. I was impressed by Penelope Ford, but increasingly, I just think, what is this a good use of my time investing in something like this? And the answer is no, because where's Ty Conley? Where's Red Velvet for that matter? Like, it's just so often the case that women just feel like they're in exhibition matches. And this was tacked on to something involving men as well. So it just felt, what am I watching this for? I'd like to watch it, but what am I watching it for? Uh, we got a great video package uh, contrasting FTR and Santana and Ortiz. I'm not going to really do it justice. Go and just track it down. Uh, really, really good. So similar, yet so different is my summary of it all. Uh, and a partnership announced between Jade Cargill, uh, Mark Sterling, who's obviously representing her, and some Canadian hotel. Uh, if you go there, actually, if you go to any hotel, just say, can I use the code uh, that bitch? See if it works. Um, and... Uh, said uh yeah she's going to be all over programming because she's great and uh she's that bitch and then we get to the main event matt jackson and the good brothers versus eddie kingston penta el zero miedo and frankie kazarian while brawling here nick jackson conspicuous by his absence as part of this entrance uh yeah lots of free falls breaking down in amongst all this that's just a bit like the bit where eddie kingston 
just batters Matt Jackson um, with chops overhead belly to belly. He gets to Kazarian who comes in for the hot tag because after Kingston's been getting uh, beaten up quite a lot. Kazarian just runs wild on all of them. Uh, hits a springboard leg drop on uh, Machine Gun Carl Anderson. Counters a spine buster. Locks on the crossface chicken wing, but in comes Gallows to break it all up. That allows Anderson to fight back and hit the spine buster. In comes Penta, though, uh, and he just batters him. Uh, he batters Jackson, Matt Jackson, I should say. Backbreaker, dives over the top onto both good brothers. It's a floating DDT for a two count. In comes Kingston. Again, Matt Jackson just got battered in this match. Um Penta hits the fear factor. Kingston hits the backdrop driver. Kazarian hits the angel wing, angel's wings. Gallows eventually does, though, come in to break up the pinfall. Then the good brothers take control. Uh, they hit an assisted neck breaker. Uh, Jackson hits his top rope elbow drop. Uh, Kazarian has to come in to break up the magic killer. Loads of huge moves. It leaves uh, Anderson and Penta in the ring. Penta hit a backstabber. He goes up top. He looks like he's got the match won. But, of course, Nick Jackson wearing a ridiculous outfit, jumps in, sprays Penta with the cold spray, the, the aerosol thing, uh, and that allows Anderson to hit a top rope cut up stun gun thing for the victory. The elite screw Kingston, Penta, and Kazarian, Michael Hamlet. Yeah, I, I don't know if this was a little bit of a victim of a middling to poor show, but like some of this just felt a little bit ordinary for what I've been permitted to expect from a lot of the people involved. I really enjoyed Penta's flourish towards the end. But if I'm honest, I felt a bit patronised by it because they do that with Penta quite a bit and he so rarely wins. He's floundering again. So it's almost like if you give Penta loads in the last minute and a half, it kind of makes up for the fact that he's going to be defeated or he's not going to factor long-term into the plans. So it keeps happening with him. And it's just, I don't know, as a fan, I feel a bit like deadened to the prospect of Penta succeeding in this company, at least until Phoenix returns and maybe they go again with the Lucha Brothers. I don't know. Yeah, just not on the level of some of these young... I know there wasn't both young books, but like these young books, six men. Um, Kaz got like one really good hot tag, but if anything, it felt like a diluted elite hunter from what we've seen in the weeks prior. The run-ins were maybe perhaps more effective than within the body of the match. A match that I thought was like, looked really great on paper. Penta, Eddie and Kaz seemed to be like a perfect team for this current situation. And they didn't really come across like grizzled badasses in the way that I expected against this variation of the super elite um yeah ordinary stuff ordinary stuff uh just wasn't feeling it if this match hits it elevates a five out of ten six out of ten dynamite to a seven the fact that this was in my opinion like a pretty awful failure put it to a five to me the least i've enjoyed a dynamite there were dynamites where they've just the bed over the board and had like these weird botches throughout and everything's just gone wrong. This was like a tight show that I thought was bad. And this main event had lots to do with it because in going through it, I think that's not that much. I really hated, but just this was so ordinary as Hamful points out. It was a gentleman's three of this amazing trios genre that they perfected in 2021. Um, and there were two things about it that I absolutely hated, both of which involved how much I want to like Elite Hunter, Frankie Kazarian. He busted his ass. He worked hard. I don't want to talk about working hard in a match. I want to just enjoy how much I liked it. And Carl Anderson and Matt Jackson in particular put in an absolute shift. But I usually come away with these trios matches thinking, I love the story beat. I love this particular sequence of spots. Didn't get any of that. It was Gentleman's 3. And... 
what are they doing in Elite Hunter Frankie Kazarian, which there's loads in. There's loads in this. You've got at least seven matches, right? Why beat him in the first match? He's got his chance to have his hands on the Elite. Why? I hated the fact that he's just a bit of a loser now who can't get one over on him. The whole point was you meant to feel like, oh, he's lost in the end, but he was so close to Kenny Omega. I feel like that's miles away now. And there's a spot that not only did he look like a loser by not winning his first battle and this huge war he's got in his head about the elite, but he looked like an idiot. There's one sequence here, right? Where Matt Jackson is just getting overkilled by all of them. Mm. He's taking every single signature, every single head drop, blah, blah, blah. So what happens after the end of it? Someone pins him. Frankie Kazarian and I think it was Penta both go to the apron, step through the ropes after flagrantly just being in the ring for like a minute, killing Matt Jackson. The very second they step through the ropes, and realistically, why did they do that? They weren't punished. They weren't penalized for being in the ring that long. Why not just stick around in there and wait for the save to prevent the save and win the match? After a minute of killing Nick Jackson, Matt Jackson, they go to the apron very politely. And the second they do that, of course, Doc Anderson breaks it up. I've got such huge standards for the way that these trios matches are orchestrated. This was stupid and it made the baby faces look dumb. And you made Elite Hunter Frankie Kazarian just look like a body, not some vengeful badass. He looked like a guy in a not particularly great trios match and an idiot. I was furious watching this. Legitimately, I was just so annoyed. I wasn't in the best of moods watching the show. The spectre of Vicky Guerrero pissed me off in this just, I thought this was actively bad storytelling. And that was the, anything you want to say, Hamflow? Sorry. That was, that no. was quite the rant. I like that. I appreciated no. it. So, yeah, um, completely agree. No, like, no, nothing else to add. And I, like, I don't feel good about that. Wanted to like this way more than I did. Hmm. Well, let us know your thoughts on AEW Dynamite on uh, on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Watch, they can follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamlet at Michael Hamlet. Follow Michael Sidgwick at um, Sidgwick. I'm not biased. Follow me at Wilborn. Follow us all at WhatCultureWWE. As I said, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts, including our previews and reviews of AEW Dynamite. The next one's on Saturday, if I remember rightly, and then we're back to Wednesdays. We'll be back to normal after that. So subscribe to What Culture Wrestling uh, for all of those daily wrestling podcasts. But for now, this has been the AEW Dynamite review. My thanks to the Dadly Boys. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you soon. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.